Sports Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Pete at the com. That's the email. And um, shifting gears here from the uh, Mecklenburg County Commission, I want to welcome back to the program. We got Andy Jackson. He is the director of the Civitas Center for Public Integrity. Hey, Andy, how are you? Doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. So busy week. I know I was going to, uh, we had you on last week and I was going to bring you back at the end of the week, but stuff just kept happening. So, uh, we gave it a couple extra days here and, uh, more stuff has happened. Uh, so at the John Locke Foundation, you've been, uh, monitoring these, uh, the redistricting, uh, stuff. And, uh, so first off, I should give an update here that a trial court panel, this is the, the original court, the three judge panel on the redistricting maps. They said, let's bring in this outside expert, this uh, special master, uh, to help determine whether the maps that the legislature is going to draw, whether they pass muster, right? Um, that's where it stands right now. So first off, I haven't spoken with you since the ruling came or the order came down. Uh, what are your thoughts on it uh, at first glance? What's your impression of the order? And uh, do you have any clarity as to what they're advising? Well, yeah, the the order itself that came from the Supreme Court last Friday at about six o'clock, I think, um, was a bit of a hot mess. Um, they they really didn't provide any guidance. They just said we're going to strike these down. They did lay out some principles that they wanted the uh, General Assembly or anybody else who draws maps, who's a party to the case, um, and they want to submit those maps. And they they lay out a few things. There's there's uh, four different analyses that they suggested. One of them is actually not an analysis. It was just a principle that one of the expert witnesses had done, so you can discard that. So there's three different possible analyses, but they also said that you that they need to consider North Carolina's unique political geography. You can put that in quotes because the three pieces of analyses they did, median mean difference, uh, efficiency gap, et cetera, uh, none of those actually incorporate an understanding of a state's geography. So even people that advocate for their use say that you can't really just run them by themselves. So what the court has told the General Assembly and maybe the plaintiffs if they want to, to do doesn't logically fit. So you're going to have to kind of have to get that, that round peg into a square hole uh, in order for the General Assembly to actually do what they believe the court wants them to do. Which I guess is why there's this sentiment, a belief that uh, the court order is essentially setting the General Assembly up to fail so they can then use the special master maps or the maps from the plaintiffs instead. That, that certainly looks like, like that is at least a possibility. Um, and that opens up another possibility about interpreting North Carolina, the North Carolina Constitution, because the North Carolina Constitution specifically charges the General Assembly with drawing maps. And once the, the maps are implemented, they can only be drawn once every 10 years. But what do you do if the General Assembly wasn't the ones to draw the maps as they're constitutionally required to do? Does that count as being enacted maps? for the entire 10 years or not. And if this court accepts a uh, map from a special master or from uh, one of the plaintiffs, I think that's going to be an open question that the Supreme Court, as it's constituted in 2023, may have to handle. 
which might be a Republican majority at that point, which might upend the maps again. So a lot of lawyers making money on uh, on our maps. Uh, So one of the things that I have heard in the discussions about gerrymandering and redistricting in North Carolina, I've heard it for years that we're a 50-50 state. And you wrote about this. You made a shocking assertion that actually, no, we're not a 50-50 state. So explain yourself, Dr. Andy Jackson. Explain yourself. Well, we're not. If you actually look at the uh, statewide elections over the past um, 10 years, going back to 2012, you find out that there is a small but persistent Republican advantage. And depending on how you measure it, um, it's either like a 51-49 or a 52-48, I think, uh, Real Clear Politics, I'm sorry, 538, which is a data analysis webpage, I think puts it close to a 52.5 to a 47.5 in that range. And that small persistent advantage has meant, for example, um, out of all the statewide races that have been run in North Carolina, uh, about 58% of them have been won by Republicans. And similarly, uh, that small advantage that Republicans have uh, translates into a similar advantage with state legislative districts. Um, it, it's, it's, so, it's a formula. It's complicated, but basically uh, yeah. you get more seats in the, in the legislature than you would in the vote. So, right. So for folks who say, well, it's 5248, big deal. Like you're just nitpicking. That's, you know, it's still, it's 5050. It's close enough, right? This gets to, but you say, no, it is a big deal because that four percentage points as it is represented in that data point you run it through this thing you call the cube rule which i gotta yeah. tell you i'd never heard before but uh you say yeah. it is the ratio of votes between parties uh if it's an a to b ratio then that ratio of seats is a to the third power to b to the third power a cubed to b cubed so it's like a it's there's a cubed effect that's what the rule is so how does that how does that work though? Why does that and, and do we know that that actually is true? Like that is that borne out by the by the data? It generally is true. It's not universally true, but you know, this was a first originally applied to seats in uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, it generally applies in systems like ours, which are single member districts, what we call uh, plurality or first past the post races. Mm-hmm. Um, because what happens is. If you, if you have a small advantage, um, you know, you either win or you lose. Uh, right. in our, we don't have a proportional representation system. So that folks that win, uh, as far as like a statewide percentage, for example, they're going to tend to pick up a, a few more seats uh, than the proportion of the vote. Um, and it is that ratio uh, that, that you mentioned there, that uh, so-called cube rule. And it's, I will say it's not universal. Uh, I'll give you one example where it's not. Up in Canada, our brothers and sisters in the great white north, uh, the conservative party actually got more votes than the liberal party uh, last time around. But because of the geography of Canada, uh, the conservatives are kind of stuck just out in rural areas for the most part, where as the liberals are kind of more evenly spread out, the liberals actually got more seats in their parliament. So the cube rule is not universal, but it is generally applicable, especially if you use it in conjunction with trying to understand the geography of the state and where the voters live. Talking with Andy Jackson, he is the director of the Civitas Center for Public Integrity at the John Locke Foundation. And um, we were talking about the redistricting ruling, the, the cube rule, really 
just sexy stuff here, the cube rule. Uh, but w- what your argument was uh, in this piece of the John Locke website uh, is that North Carolina is not a 50-50 seat, uh, 50-50 state, rather, that this slight advantage that Republicans have, uh, that this does translate into a larger um, margin of, of victories, if you will, across the entire state, because it gets amplified. And you list some of the numbers here, um, like you say that a 9-5 to five Republican advantage for the congressional maps, that's the most likely outcome. So 9-5, to five, 9 Republican, 5 Democrat. But do you... Is, is that a map that Democrats would accept? I think they would probably be okay with a nine to five map. Don't do you think so? Well, if you would have probably if you would have asked them a few months ago, they probably would have accepted it. That's the nine five map is uh, was done based on analysis by Zhao Wei Chen, one of the plaintiffs' own expert witnesses in the lawsuit. He said that was the most likely outcome of maps drawn using neutral criteria. It was one off from the 10-4 drawn by the General Assembly. So fairly close, it would just take uh, a minor tweak. But now that uh, we've seen what happened with the Supreme Court ruling, I don't know if Democrats would be satisfied uh, with the 9-5. Some of them may even be pushing for a 7-7 because they believe they could get the court to go their way. So I'm fully expecting plaintiffs to be submitting their own maps. I think uh, during the redistricting process, Democrats in the General Assembly are going to be proposing a lot of amendments that will be going for 7-7. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think the times may have changed as far as what Democrats may be willing to accept. Yeah. Um, there was another story uh, the, a couple of uh, days ago about uh, an organization that had sued and had finally settled with the State Board of Elections um, and its list maintenance. And it, this is, I'm not going to get into the weeds on that with you, except to bring you back to a post that you had written actually a couple, I think, years ago, um, mm-hmm. talking about cases of election fraud in North Carolina. And people always want to make these arguments that it doesn't exist. And if it does exist, it's really, really small and nobody ever uh, notices it. It's, it doesn't affect the outcome of races. Um, you listed three different examples, and these are all recent examples. One is from, uh, if we could just run through them real quick, ballot harvesting in Swain County. What was that one? Well, what we had is we had a Swain County commissioner, his name is Glenn Jones, and several of his associates got together and started um, gathering ballots. Basically, they went out to folks that they knew, because this is, was at the time publicly available information, who had absentee ballots, and they went out there to grab those and submit them. Uh, may or may not have been trying to influence voters. There's at least one person uh, that whose ballot they collected uh, who says that they had uh, tried to coerce them into voting uh, for the Democrats in that county. Um, in any case, no matter what the motive is or what you do with the ballot, that is a Class I felony in North Carolina, punishable by up to a year in prison. Um, and, the re- and there's a good reason those kind of things are illegal, because uh, aside from throwing away ballots of people you think didn't vote for you, you can have this coercive influence over people, this undue uh, influence over people's votes, because you don't have really the privacy of uh, the voting booth that you would in in-person voting. Uh, nothing came of that case, even though you know, even people who didn't say they were coerced you know, would freely admit it 
that uh, Jones and others had gathered up their ballots, had, had, uh, had harvested those ballots from them. Right. They targeted an assisted living facility to harvest the ballots, and you said including from one resident who later did not remember voting. This was in 2006, Swain County, North Carolina. Uh, four years later, Yancey County, sheriff's office workers. Uh, this was interesting. They, what, hit up the, uh, the prisoners? They hit up people who, who, uh, who, are under, who had been arrested, um, but who had not been convicted, because, you know, convicted felons can't vote. Um, and the idea is that you know, they would get uh, easier terms on sentences uh, if they cooperated. The inclu- sheriff's account of department officials collected, I think, 10 ballots from one single wide trailer, for example. Um, and it was only when, and this is, by the way, a good plug for uh, a local newspaper. There is a newspaper uh, in Yancey County which no longer exists because the grocery store stopped putting ads in the paper. Uh, that's how you know close to the edge a lot of these local papers are. We only know of this because of that local paper, which only existed for a few years. And when they confronted one of the prisoners about the illegal voting that they were doing, um, they basically confessed that it was one of the sheriff's deputies that coerced them into doing that. Um, and the sheriff won. It was a tight margin. The State Board of Elections actually collected collected boxes and boxes of information, but nothing, again, nothing ever came of it. Uh, no prosecutors ever took up the case, uh, and that case uh, essentially just died. That was in 2010. Then in 2013, same-day registration. This was over in Robeson County. What happened there? Well, what happened there is, um, I think the most famous incident is that there were some students there at Pembroke University uh, for a basketball camp. So they were not North Carolinians for the most part. They were from all over the South, maybe all over the country. Um, they were all 18 or older, so they could be used in this incident. And they were essentially hauled off by one of a, uh, the local municipal candidates in the town of Pembroke, uh, did same-day registration. Uh, I don't know what addresses they used. Obviously, they didn't use the dorms that they were staying in at the time, although they could have done that. Um, and then those votes were counted uh, because they didn't find out that, they, that this was an instance of illegal registration of people who are not eligible to vote in North Carolina until after uh, the votes had been counted. So they had no way of, of essentially getting those, those things out, and they were you know, forced to rerun that election later on. It wasn't just the basketball camp people. There were people from a uh, a Section 8 housing authority uh, who lived outside of town. They were, you know, bused or banned in, uh, given different addresses to register under and did same-day registration. This is a particular weakness of same-day registration that a lot of times the boards of elections, which they are supposed to verify those addresses for those people within three business days, that rarely happens. Uh, Those voters uh, also slipped through the cracks of the system. Those votes counted. Uh, and, and when it was discovered that those were illegal votes, once again, they had to rerun that election later on. There you go. Andy Jackson, the uh, director of the Civitas Center for Public Integrity at the John Locke Foundation. Three 21st century cases of election fraud in North Carolina. Thank you, Andy. Good to talk with you, and uh, we'll catch up to you soon. Appreciate it. See you then.